Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, January 22nd, 2023, from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right, y'all, I've got a question, and this is a question for you to answer out loud, if that works. My question is, when you look at your own life, and you know you try to grow and change and mature as a person and everything do you ever have like one part of your life where you're like why am i still so mm, like fill in the blank does anybody have this sensation of like whether whatever it is like if why am i still so stubborn or why am i still so why do i still have so much anger or whatever why do i still you know have these like petty jealousies and stuff like that i feel like i'm trying to grow and change and mature and why, why am I still so <clears throat> this? Like, when is the moment when I'm going to be finally there? Do y'all ever have this feeling? Like, when am I going to finally be where I need to be or where I want to be? Okay, we're going to get into all that, all right, if you'll go with me. So um, in, the, in the month of January, um, we are dissing and shunning New Year's resolutions. So if you are a New Year's resolution person, thank you. If you are a New Year's resolution person, tough. We're not, we're not doing that. And here's the deal. New Year's, which was funny because I did see, it was on like Twitter or something. Somebody sent me a TV commercial that Joseph Laurent was in where he was all fired up about his New Year's resolution. And I was like, man, my preaching is not getting through to Joseph. So, but I don't know how TV works. Maybe you, maybe you recorded that like several months ago or something. No, okay, yeah, never mind. Okay. He's just not listening. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. Here's the, thing with new, here's the thing with resolutions. Resolutions are predicated on, built on control and willpower, which are two resources we have precious little of. So, um, yeah, let's not do that. We're going to do instead, month of January, we're looking at New Year's benedictions instead of New Year's resolutions. A benediction is a prayer of blessing. Benediction is just a, it's a combination Latin word that means like the good speech, the good words. This is, this is not what I hope that you figure out and fix in yourself. This is, what is God going to do for you? What do I pray and hope that God would come in and do in your life? All right, before we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to give you a little background on myself um, and kind of the way I grew up in, in this religion that we're in, in, in the different churches that I grew up in and just being in this thing. I believed two things that wound up being untrue that tanked my joy and filled me with shame. Now, I'm not saying that, that this was the express view of the churches where I grew up. I'm not saying it was in the statement of faith. I, it could have been mostly on me. I heard it. I felt this. This was the vibe. I believe two things that completely tanked my joy and filled me with shame. The two things I believed were, and if you have any, if you grew up in, in feeling this way too, you might want to help me out and not leave me on an island by myself. But if I'm, it's fine, okay? But I grew up believing these two things. One, the whole point of this religion is to sin less. That's the whole thing. That's the whole show. The whole thing we're doing here is to figure out how to get you to sin less because you're a dirty little sinner and you should feel bad about it. And we want to clean that up, okay? So you sin, you sin too much, so we're going to... That's the whole point of this thing. That's the whole show. The second thing that I believed was that process is entirely my responsibility. 
So the whole point of this Jesus thing, the whole point of this religion is to get you to sin less because you're a dirty little sinner and you should feel bad about it. And the whole responsibility of getting that process in motion and fixed is on my shoulders, on your shoulders. Okay, so here's some good news. Does anybody want some good news? Good news. The point of this is not for you to sin less. Okay? That's not what the point of this whole thing is. First of all, we're destined to be in heaven forever where there will be no sin. So if the whole point of the Jesus thing is for us to sin less, and then we go to heaven forever where there's no sin, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? What are we going to talk about forever? If the whole point of this has been, you know, it's just about sin. And, and when I grew up feeling that way, it was because we were always talking about sin. We were always investigating sin. We were always cataloging sin. We were always asking about sin. The whole thing was sin, 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 sinny, sinny, sin town. That's what the whole thing was about. But if I'm going to be in heaven forever and there's no sin, well, what are we going to do? We're just going to twiddle our holy thumbs up there like... <laughs> What is, the, what is happening? So, okay, so it, that's not what it's about. You, you want to know what this whole religion is about? This is good news. Here's what it's about. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm like getting chills about to tell you this. I'm so excited. Here's what this is about. The God of the universe wants to be your friend. Like yours. He likes you. Like your personality, your interests, what the individual things that bring you to the table, like that, all that stuff. God, the God who made everything, loves and likes you and wants to be your friend. Like not just everybody, you. That's exciting stuff. That's really, really cool. That's the point of the whole thing. And by the way, um, the whole process of you sinning less and stuff like that, um, Here's the other good news. That's not on you entirely either. Isn't that good news? That's fantastic. Here's a benediction. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Potsy already read it beautifully. I'm not going to do it as well as he did, but here it is. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That's really cool. Okay, um, so a couple of things. If the whole point of this religion, like I said, was to sin less, we have, and, and if the responsibility of that project is all on my shoulders, we have some problems. One, um, I am not honest enough or humble enough to clean up my own act very well. And I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I'm not honest enough by a long stretch, and I definitely am not humble enough to look at myself and figure it all out and clean up my own act. That's just not going to happen. The problem is is that when you do grow up in an environment where it feels like the whole point is to sin less, and so we investigate sin and we talk about sin, and we put what we start doing is we start putting sin in categories. These are worse than those. This is the thing that really tanks you. This is the person that really makes you a horrible person that we push over in the corner over here. One of the problems with that is that if I am the type of person who doesn't really struggle with all the ones that are big and obvious, you know, the party sins, you know, the sexy stuff, what you smoke and what you drink and what music you listen to, that stuff. Like if I don't, y'all know what I'm talking about. If I don't really personally struggle with those, then there is a very dangerous thing that could potentially happen, which is I could look at myself and go, "I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I might be almost there. Have y'all ever met somebody like this before? So here's the thing. 
And I don't mean to diss you. I'm going to put myself in front as well. You're not almost there. And neither am I. And like, you're not even in the zip code of almost there. Like, you can't with the Hubble Space Telescope see there. And that's okay. That's me too. I'm even behind, I'm behind you. And in fact, there's this curious thing that happens in the New Testament. The more you grow, the more aware actually you become of how far you are away. Like the first letter that Paul ever wrote, he called himself something. He said, I am the least of the apostles. And you're like, well, that's a weird little flex, you know? He says, I'm the least of the apostles. The last letter that he ever wrote at the end of his life, he said, I'm the worst person in the world. The, the more he grew, the more messed up he realized he was. And by the way, when we categorize sins by the ones that are big and obvious, we do this other thing, which is we ignore the ones you can't see. And then we might not even pay attention that we have them. What about all that greed? What about, what about all that? What about all that prejudice? What about all that? What about all that judgmentalness? What about all that seething anger? What about all that stuff that people can't see? So that's a problem. This whole thing is, is not just about sinning less. And I'm not very good at, at handling that. I don't, I don't have the guns for that fight. Okay, I don't have the honesty. I don't have the humility. What's so great about this benediction is Paul says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, real quick, let's all get on the same page about a couple of these words. When he says, may God himself sanctify you, that word sanctify, it's just a, it's just a word that means to make holy. It's a, it's a Latin word. It's where we get the words um, sanctuary, sanctimonious, um, like saint, San Jose, Santa. It's all the same thing. It's just the Latin word for holy. Holy means different, not like everything else, set apart. Like when something is holy, it's not like the rest of everything else. Everybody in the world is naturally selfish, stubborn, petty, jealous, like, you know, petty, mean jealousies, insecure, all those things. When we, say, when, when we say and sing that God is holy, what we're saying is he's not. He's not petty. And he's not stubborn. And he's not angry. And he's not mean. And he doesn't have petty jealousies and insecurities. He's different. He's holy. And he is interested in, in making you like him in those ways. He's interested in making you different. And that's a fantastic thing, especially when you consider that he's the one who does it. That's really, really cool. It's like he wants to take you, all of what he loves about you, and he just wants to remove all of the, you know, the stubbornness and the petty jealousies and the anger and the prejudice and stuff like that. Doesn't that sound really yummy? Yeah. Like if I got to leave a bunch of that stuff behind and I got to be me, not like, it's not that you're not you anymore. It's all of your personality and everything that makes you, you, except without all the gunk. He just degunks it. And he's in that process, okay? That's what he wants to do. It's really interesting to me that, um, that when they translated this, Paul's benediction in our version, that they say through and through, that they use the same word twice. That's really weird because it's actually two different words. When he says, may, he, may God himself, the God of peace, make you holy through and through, really what the, the original words meant something like thoroughly and entirely. Like one of the words means like layer by layer. And one of the words means like the whole thing. 
Okay, imagine it like this. There's a city block, and on the city block is a gigantic like skyscraper office building. And on every floor of this gigantic building are tons and tons of offices with their filing cabinets full of files, and their hard drives full of files, and all kinds of complicated stuff. And a real estate developer buys the whole block, the whole city block, and now owns the entire building. They have it completely. And then they go in and they start renovating the entire building. They change all the files. They get down and, and scrub every hard drive, everything on every single floor in every single office. That's what he's saying. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you completely. He gets the whole thing. And then thoroughly, layer by layer, every little file, every little filing cabinet. Does that make sense? He's going to do things. And when you think about that, you're like, I couldn't possibly do that for myself. I don't even know myself. I'm not even willing to look in the mirror at myself about certain things. Certain things that are messed up in me, I kind of like them. And that's messed up. Like I can't, I have, it's like, it's my problems are meta. You know, like I, like I have really, really bad, like layers of, of complication. But my, th and so, and he's gonna do this whole process. He says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Okay, he says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to break this down for a second because there's something that you need to know about you. Because what he's saying is, when Jesus comes back, you are going to be completely finished. You're going to be done. You're going to be cooked. The whole process is going to be over. So we're going to dig into that for a second. Because when you came to know Jesus, several things happened to you at once. Several things happen to you at once. Now, you might be one of those people that's like, I don't know if it was when I was at VBS when I was six, or I don't know if it was when I was at that church camp when I was 18. I don't know if it was in that conversation when I was 23 with so-and-so. I don't know if it was just kind of a long, I don't know the exact moment that I came to know Jesus. Or maybe you're one of those precious folks like me and like others who asked Jesus into your heart like 1,700 times because you were so afraid you didn't say it right. Here's what you need to know. If you don't know the exact moment, that's okay. He knows. Okay, but when you came to know Jesus, when you opened your heart up to Jesus's message, which by the way, if you've never done it, you could do it right now. All it is, is Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? I took your place, all of the punishment that you would ever have to bear for all of the wrong that you've ever thought, said, or done so that you never have to. We literally trade test papers. Your failing grade with my 100, and you can just have it. You can be completely forgiven forever. You can go to heaven forever, and nobody can do anything about it. That's fantastic news. And if you've never done it, you can just tell him right now, actually, that sounds really good, Jesus. I'll take that, and it's yours. But the moment that you do that, several things happen to you at once. Okay, here's, here's the first thing. In the moment that you came to know Jesus... In the moment that you came to know Jesus, God forever declared you completely holy. Declared. It's a legal, like, it is your legal status. No one in the high court of heaven will ever say about you that you are anything but completely and totally as holy as Jesus Christ himself. That's ridiculous. Like, you didn't have to do anything to earn it. You didn't have to make any promises that you were going to change. It just happened. And somebody might, some people might say, well, yeah, we call that justification. That's not the same thing as you were saying sanctified before. That's a different process. Chill out, theologians. Here we go. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. I don't know if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, but those people were messed up. They were messed up and they weren't done being messed up. They had a lot of stuff that needed to be worked on. And Paul starts the letter by saying, guess what you are? Sanctified in Christ Jesus. You have been declared completely and totally holy. No one can ever take that away. No one will, you will never be punished for your sins. You will never be judged. If you were standing in front of almighty God himself, take the sin. He would have no grounds on which to accuse you of any sin. That's awesome news. That happened to you the moment that you came to know Jesus. Okay, declared totally holy. Now the problem is you're like, yeah, but I still sin. Like I still got a bunch of sins in my life. Yeah, okay, here's what else happened to you. In the moment that you came to know Jesus, you began a process. You entered into a process by which God is making you more holy through his Holy Spirit. He's working in your life, growing and changing you. I don't care if you've known Jesus for five minutes, five years, or five decades. Jesus is at work in you. You're not the person that you used to be. That's fantastic news. It's like you're on a ski slope, okay? You can't, I mean, you can fight it. You can cross your skis and fall down a whole bunch. You're getting down that hill. He's changing you. You're in a process of growing where he is changing you. Okay, so... In the moment you came to know Jesus, you were declared holy. You started a process by which you are, over time, being made holy, okay? And also, the moment that you, that you came to know Jesus, you got a ticket. It's like a, down, it's like a down payment or a deposit for the day when you see Jesus Christ and you are made completely and totally holy and there's no more sin at all ever again. That's fantastic. All of those things became true of you the moment that you met Jesus. Declared holy, started a process while you're, in which you're becoming more holy, and you got a down, a down payment or deposit for the day that you're going to be made completely holy. That's all really cool, right? Here's my problem with it. If I'm in the class listening to that, I'm the guy raising my hand in the back going, I have a question, I have a question. So there's coming a day where you're just going to like finish and I'm going to be completely and totally holy. And so is everybody else who calls in the name of Jesus. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so, so you could just make me completely holy. Yes, that's, that's correct. But you leave my sin nature kind of in me and active. And so I keep sinning throughout the rest of my life, even though you could just make me totally holy. Uh-huh. And that sin nature is the thing that like breaks my heart and causes me to hurt the people I love. And it also means that since they still have theirs, they still sometimes hurt me too, right? Yes. That's, but you could just make me holy at any moment. Yes. But you're not. No. Um, what? Why, why are we doing that? Like, why would there... Why would I go through this? Because I don't know about y'all, but when there are certain things about me in my life that not only are they painful in certain relationships in my life that I love, but I'm sick of them. I hate it. I don't want this in me anymore. And to find out that he has the power to just flip the switch and I could be completely and totally different all the way down, layer by layer, then the whole thing together. I'm like, why aren't we just doing that? My whole life, I grew up thinking that my sin was like this gigantic, like unscalable mountain that this monstrous fire 
breathing mountain that stood between me and the love of Jesus. And I felt like it was my fault. That's the way I felt basically my whole life. It's this huge, unscalable mountain that I'm supposed to knock down, and it's between me and the love of Jesus. So I've got some great news on that. It is super not. It is not an obstacle between you and the love of Jesus. You want to know why? Jesus obliterated your sin. Do you still have it? Yes. Is it still wrong? Mm-hmm. It's still destructive. It's still sad and messy. It still hurts relationships. It still causes all kinds of problems. But you know what it's not? It's not an obstacle between you and the love of Jesus Christ. He already took away the pain of it. He already took away the penalty of it. You will not be punished for it. And you are in a process of changing and growing. And then one day it's going to be gone forever. That's great. But why are we doing this process? Okay, I want to read you guys something. um, And then I'm going to break this down for you. But there was a a guy that I really loved who was a pastor in London um, back in the 18th 18th century. Long, long time ago. And he was... um, he was, at one point in his life, he was the worst, he was like basically the worst person in the world. He was the captain of a slave ship, and he was, however awful you think a person would be in that position, he was worse. And he came to know the Lord, didn't grow forever. He was still super duper awful. And then when he was really old, he really started to grow, and he really started to change. Became a pastor, he became a songwriter. He's actually the guy that wrote uh, the song Amazing Grace, and some other songs that we sing, a guy named John Newton. And um, he wrote he wrote some of the most fantastic letters. And I like to read his letters a lot. But um, when he was a real old man, he, uh, <laughs> he called himself Old 75. And uh, when he would, he would write these beautiful letters, he wrote one to the wife of William Wilberforce, who was, who was like the premier abolitionist in, uh, in, in England. And, and John Newton was huge for the cause of abolition of the slave trade as well. He wrote this letter to her. We are sure that when the Lord delivers us from the guilt and dominion of sin, he could with equal ease free us entirely from sin if he pleased. The doctrine of sinless perfection, that's where like you could completely live with, you could live uh, your life here with Jesus with no sin whatsoever. The doctrine of sinless perfection is not to be rejected as though it were a thing simply impossible in itself, for nothing is too hard for the Lord but because it is contrary to that method which he has chosen to proceed by. He has appointed that sanctification should be effected and sin mortified, not at once completely, but, little and, but by little and little. And doubtless he has wise reasons for it. Therefore, we are to desire a growth in grace and should at the same time acquiesce in his appointment and not be discouraged or despond because we feel that conflict which his word informs us will only terminate with our lives. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit more, and then I'm going to translate all that. Okay, this one was to, um, to the Lord Dartmouth. If the evils we feel were not capable of being overruled for good, he, Jesus, would not permit them to remain in us. This way we may infer from his hatred to sin and the love which he bears to his people. As to the remedy, neither our state nor his honor are affected by the workings of indwelling sin in the hearts of those whom he has taught to wrestle, strive, and mourn on account of what they feel. Though sin wars, it shall not reign. And though it breaks our peace, it cannot separate from his love. Um, What he's saying to uh, Mrs. Wilberforce and to the Lord Dartmouth is he has a method by which he is working. 
He saved you from the penalty of sin. You are growing slowly and frustratingly through the rest of your life. You had this moment where you were declared holy. And now, for the rest of our lives, we're struggling with it, frustrated by it. It screws up relationships. It causes pain in us and in the people that we love. And then, at the end, we're going to see him face to face, and it's going to be gone forever. These three moments in our life are so frustratingly far apart because we're still wrestling with it, right? Why are we doing this? Well, let's look at the result. The result is, and he talks about this in other letters, and I've known it to be true in my life, and, it's, and if it's true in yours, let some people know. The result is that when I do screw up and I really know it, where do I go? Where else do I have to go but him? Where else do I have to turn but to him and his forgiveness? Where else can I learn that I am still accepted but by running to him? This process of me growing a little bit by a little bit, frustratingly slow, has been teaching me throughout my life that I have someone in my life who loves me no matter what. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter how many times I face plant, he still wants me and he still loves me. This process is the process by which I am learning to trust him and I'm learning to love him. Guys, this is how we become friends. The whole point of what we're doing is not to sin less. Because your sin is not a fire-breathing mountain in between you and the love of Jesus, please. If it was, you would be filled with shame all day because you have nothing, you, there's just not a whole lot you can do with it except to run to him and find that he loves you and accepts you again. And that's because the whole point of this whole thing is Almighty God wants to be friends with you. And so he leaves it in there. And then you run to him. And you go to him for forgiveness. You go to him for help. You go to him when you're heartbroken, when somebody else breaks your heart because of their sin. And you find slowly, continually, over the process of your life, I have a friend in Jesus. Um, I, was, I was reading this week this book about the size of our solar system. Okay, and I was really nerding out on this because this guy was saying, you know, when you're in seventh grade science class and they have like the, they have the diagram of the solar system with the sun and the planets, you know, orbiting around it. He said, you know, you should know this, but that drawing is not to scale. And I was like, yeah, I knew that. Totally. I totally knew that solar system was not to scale. And he said, actually, you've never seen a scale drawing of the solar system because it's impossible to draw one because there's not enough paper. Like if all the paper that had ever been produced were put in a straight line and then you started drawing the solar system, there's not enough of it. That's how big the place is. And he was talking about how, you know, light moves faster than everything. And the sun is so far away from the earth that it takes light eight minutes to leave the sun and hit my eyeballs. Okay. So when you, if the sun ever came out today and you got to see it, you would not be looking at the sun as it is. Hang with me you would be looking at the sun as it looked eight minutes ago, okay? So when you look at the sun, you're not seeing exactly what you think you're seeing. So the farther away something gets, the farther back in time your vision is going, and the less it really has anything to do with you. For instance, when you, if, if the sky clears up tonight and before you go to bed, you go out into your street and you look up at the North Star, Polaris, you're not looking at the North Star as it is. You're looking at the North Star as it looked in the year 1593. That's how far away that bad boy is. In fact, 
If there, were, if there is a planet that is orbiting Polaris that has the ability to sustain life, and if the creatures on that little planet got uh, intelligent enough to build a telescope that was powerful enough to look at Earth, they wouldn't see you and me and our iPhones and, and, and Dan's Buffalo Bill's t-shirt. What they would see is William Shakespeare premiering the, t the Taming of the Shrew in 1593. If they sent astronauts to come visit us and they wanted to, you know, you know, make us less scared by dressing like us, they would be wearing like, you know, silk stockings and that coffee filter thing around their neck, you know? <laughs> I tell you that to say this. There are certain things that you look at in your life and you think it is big and dangerous and awful and I can't do anything about it and it ain't what you see. The truth is Polaris may have already exploded into a supernova back in like 1842. We would never know because the light from that supernova won't hit us until we've been in heaven for a long, long time. We don't even know if it's there. I grew up so afraid of my own, you know, the burden of having to change myself and the burden of having to figure out this mountain of sin in between me and Jesus, feeling terrible, terrible about it and feeling like I'll never be able to get there. And the truth is that it's looking at your own sin and focusing on it and, you know, try, and feeling bad about it. You know what it's like? It's kind of like stargazing. You're not looking at what you think you are. You're looking at the last gasps of an ancient, decaying unreality. It's been over for a long time. You're gonna walk right out of it one day. And all the stuff you're still wrestling with it, he is faithful and he will do it. Um, can I read y'all one other John Newton thing? Thanks. Thanks, Eric. It's on Eric, everybody. Um, this, is a, this is a letter, it's more like a little postcard that he wrote to his friend, the Reverend Josiah, or the Reverend William Bull, which is a great last name for a reverend. And he's talking, about, he's talking about the fact that he's looking at himself and he just realizes like, he, he, at this point, he was like 80 something years old. And he was like, I'm still just a big old fat sinner. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Everybody's so worried. He's like, I'm still just a sinner that Jesus loves. And he's talking about the sin that he sees in his own life. He says this, my dear friend, the Reverend William Bull, my dear friend, we are still favored with many mercies. My dear is tolerably well. That's his wife. Mary Woolnuth, my other dear, that was his church. Seems, <laughs> my other dear seems pretty well likewise and has a good deal of company on levy days. I have many pleasant and kind connections, but I have a troublesome inmate, a lodger who assumes as if the house were his own and is a perpetual encumbrance and spoils all. He has long been noted for his evil ways, but, through, but though generally known, is not easily avoided. He lodged with one Saul of Tarsus long before I was born and made him groan and cry out lustily. Time was when I thought I would shut the door to keep him out of my house, but my precaution came too late. He was already within. And to turn him out by head and shoulders is beyond my power. Nay, I cannot interdict him from any one single apartment. If I think of retiring into the closet corner, he's there before me. We often meet and jostle and snarl at each other. But sometimes, would you believe it, I lose all my suspicion and am deposed to treat him as an intimate friend. This inconsistency of mine, I believe, greatly encourages him, for I barely believe he would be ashamed and afraid to be seen by me if I always kept him at a proper distance. However, we both lay such a strong claim to the same dwelling that I believe the only way of settling the dispute will be, which the landlord himself has spoken of, 
to pull down the house over our heads. There seems something disagreeable in this mode of proceeding, but from what I've read in an old book, I form a hope that when things come to this crisis, I shall escape and my enemy will be crushed in the ruins. Love to Mrs. Bull and to the little bull. From my dear and from your most affectionate, if not your most humble friend, John Newton, June 7, 1783. Um, the moment that you met Jesus, he declared you holy. In that moment, he started a process by which he's making you more holy. The moment you see him face to face, he will make you completely and totally holy forever. And when you're in heaven, and I know it feels like those moments, those three moments are so far apart and so frustrating that I'm still wrestling with it and I'm still awful in several ways. But when you've been in heaven 10,000 years, those three moments are gonna get closer and closer and closer together. And you will be able to truly say, Jesus, the moment I met you, everything changed. It's how we became friends. And I'll always love you for making me holy. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you're doing something in us that we are basically powerless to do for ourselves. Thank you that you're not afraid of our sin. Thank you that you are not shocked by it. Thank you that you've already handled it, that you're slowly handling it to the end, and then it's gonna be gone forever, and then we get to just be friends forever and ever and ever. I pray, like John Newton said to Mrs. Wilberforce, that we would not be discouraged and that we would not despond, but that we would trust you to keep working in us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All the stars in the deep night speak from places we'll never go. Lights telling us legends, mythical history from long ago. So don't believe all you see And remember when the change feels slow This life will one day be legend Mythical history from long ago We get to witness our making we get a seat in the very front row Wide awake for the waking Of a holy and mythical soul So do not kneel to all you feel And remember when the chips get low This life will one day be legend Mythical history from long ago and stories begin by setting the stage for the show and make us cry and wonder why the story feels like one we know so don't append the stories and we've chapters and chapters to go 
He's writing his magnum opus The mythical history of a life made whole I'm his magnum opus The mythical history of a life made whole